This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So 15 years ago, my doctor, my family care doctor, Dr. Fred, threatened to fire me as his patient. And I thought, can you even do that? Well, this is Long Island, this is New York, so you can threaten to do that. So here's what happened. He had prescribed medication for me. I'll tell you what it is. It was for hypertension, high blood pressure. And uh, one day he asked me, so how's that going, taking the um, medication? Supposed to take it every day, you know, like I told you. I kind of laughed. I said, yeah, well, about that. I take it occasionally. I take it um, when the mood comes over me. I take it um, like every third day. And his bushy eyebrows raised from his notes. He said, oh, really? And I said, Doc, I got this. I exercise. My family has no history of high blood pressure. My father's in his 80s. I'll be fine. Dr. Fred turned like this bright red, like a tomato, like smoke was coming out his ears, like he is having an episode of very high blood pressure. And he said, you think this is a joke? Do you know what's at stake? Do you want to die before your 60th birthday? Do you know what a stroke does to people? And then he detailed it in medical language. What happens with a stroke? He said, you want me to be your doctor? Take the medication every day. Happy to report, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've forgotten over the last 15 years to take my lisinopril pill. Now, when I was reading Jesus' words in the gospel, for some reason, I thought of Dr. Fred. Like Dr. Fred, Jesus hates disease, spiritual disease. Like Dr. Fred, Jesus has a vision for health. It's not just negative. It's not just a warning. It's a vision of health. It's a vision of what the Bible calls shalom. Like Dr. Fred, Jesus is willing to say really honest, blunt, and even harsh things to get your attention. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me because I want to walk through this passage together. I don't want to just do this by myself. I just want us to discover together and um, invite you to participate. I believe it's on page 837 in your pew Bibles, 37 or 73, one of those two. 73, thank you. Okay, 873. You'll notice Jesus said some really hard things in this passage. Verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. Verse 25, I do not know where you come from. Verse 27, depart from me, you workers of evil. Verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we act like physical health is the highest value there is. And it is a very high value. But there's something even higher than that, and that is our spiritual health and our eternal destiny. And Jesus is going to tell us there, there's a door that's open. And if you go through that door, you enter into a whole new kind of life. And if you don't go through that door, you miss it. Or as he's going to say later in this passage, verse 29, it's like a banquet. People coming from east and west and north and south, they're coming from all over, they're coming from all the nations. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to miss this banquet. 
I don't want you to throw away the invitation. I don't want you to ignore it. It's just too important. So let's look at this text. It's a literary unit, and it starts in verse 22, and it ends in verse 35. And I want you to notice something, because there's at verse 22 and verse 34, you see the words Jerusalem. So verse 22 says he went, Jesus was going on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And then in verse 34, Jesus breaks into this lament. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. We'll get to that. It's bookended by Jerusalem. Four times in this passage, the city of Jerusalem is, is mentioned. Why? Why is that so important? Well, as every Jewish person would tell you, then and now, Jerusalem is home. Jerusalem is my homeland. It's like we cannot comprehend this. We don't feel this way about Washington, D.C. We don't feel this way. Maybe our hometown, but probably not. This is such a strong, visceral feeling. So our Jewish friends will tell us even today, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's in the Bible. So that's, that's part of it. But it's also because Jerusalem is the place where Jesus is going to die on the cross for our sins. It is the place where he who knew no sin, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. So that is the place where Jesus is going to give his life as an offering for us and for our salvation, as we say in our creed. So that, the, the beauty of the cross is like an arc over this whole story. Let's not forget that. The, the glory of the cross, the power of the cross, the love of the cross is like an arc over this whole passage. And all these hard things Jesus is going to say, they're under that arc. It doesn't mean make them any less hard, but just keep them under that arc. So verse 23, we read, And someone said to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? So Jesus pauses for a moment, or he ends his teaching, and some guy in the crowd calls out, Hey, I got a question for you. Theoretical question. Will those who are saved, will they be few? Like, what's the percentage, Jesus? It's an interesting question. It's a philosophical question. A detached, intellectual question. It's probably also, probably kind of a smug question. Because you get the impression that the questioner assumes that I'm not in any danger here, but I wonder if other people are. And notice what Jesus does in verse 24 and, and, and on. He never answers the question. The guy asks him a direct question. He does not answer it. Instead, Jesus turns it around and he questions the questioner. So in verse 24, he says, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. The strive is in the plural, as our southern friends would say, Y'all strive to enter through the door. This isn't about them, theoretical people out there. This is about you, questioner, and people that are questioning like around you. This is about us, not those people out there. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Jesus says there's a door over there, and... Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move over here. Here we go. What's that? I'll just, I'll just stand here. How's that? Okay. So you can just turn this one off. Okay. So, um, so Jesus says there's a door over here. 
And when you go through that door, you enter into a whole new kind of life, life that starts now, an eternal life. The living God becomes your refuge, your redeemer, even your friend. You live under the shadow of, your wing, of, his, of his wings. And notice the adjective, it's a narrow door. That doesn't mean that few people, just few people will get in, but it means that it's not easy to get in, in the sense that you can't carry a lot of baggage to get through the door. You can't carry bags, backpacks full of resentment, backpacks full of unforgiveness, backpacks full of greed, backpacks full of pride and self-righteousness. You have to get low. You have to strip off those things. You have to admit your need. You have to become humble. You have to live a lifestyle of repentance. Or as the African-American spiritual says, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. We call this repentance, and in Lent, we're invited to a lifestyle of repentance. And as we're going to see, this is a lifestyle that lives to hope and that lives to intimacy with God. But we'll get there. Verse 25, Jesus says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Those are hard words. Now, those of you who know me, you know, I'm nice, right? Like, I like, I grew up in Minnesota, middle of seven kids. I just like to be nice. And this is not nice. As somebody told me after the service, somebody that teaches, an uh, expert on the Old Testament prophets, he said, you know, Matt, Jesus was kind and compassionate, but he wasn't nice. The Old Testament prophets were compassionate and passionate, but they weren't nice necessarily the way we define nice i do not know where you come from jesus is warning us again about our spiritual health and giving us a vision for spiritual flourishing and he's saying many people will see the door they'll ponder the door they'll think about the door they'll analyze the door they might even hear sermons about the door but they won't strip off the bags and go through the door and jesus is saying i don't want you to go there and then in verse 26, he says this. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. We were so close to you, Jesus. And yet they were so far. It's a sobering text. Didn't we imbibe your teachings, Jesus? Didn't we imbibe your teachings about justice and equality and compassion and forgiveness. Didn't we imbibe that just because we live in sort of this Western world that still has some of that in our heritage? Weren't we raised in the church? And Jesus will say, yeah, but you were so far. You were so far. You know, 40, year, 40 years ago when I became a follower of Jesus in uh, senior in high school and then in college, one of the questions that I heard a lot when I was at the University of Minnesota was, yeah, well, what about all those poor people in Africa that have never heard the gospel? What's going to happen to them? It's a really good question. I wish I had time to answer that. But since 40 years forward now, since 80% of the followers of Jesus live in the global south, 
I have met Christians in Africa who literally say something like to the effect, what about those poor souls in America that know so much about Jesus, but they don't believe in him? I feel for them. And Jesus says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Now, that's harsh to us, but if you've read the Old Testament prophets, you will see that kind of language over and over again. Amos, for instance, the Lord speaking through the prophet Amos saying, you know, you guys, you, you, a father and a son have immoral relations with the same woman, and then you oppress and crush the poor, and you come into my presence, and it's all happy, like everything's fine. And God says, it's not fine. Let your justice roll down like water and your righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's the book of Amos, chapter 5. Why is Jesus so blunt? Well, he's passionately for something, as I said, and he's passionately against something. Remember what he's passionately for. Like Dr. Fred, he's for health. He's for flourishing. He's for salvation. He's for redemption. Verse 29, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. People will come from nations all over the place. They will all come through that narrow door, which Jesus says in the Gospel of John is his himself. That's the thing that they have in common. But notice what like the book of Revelation says in chapter 7, that standing around that throne worshiping Jesus, there will be a great multitude that no one could number from all tribes and peoples and languages. It's a fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12 that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And somehow, someway, miraculously, God is going to pull that off. It doesn't mean that everybody will respond because as we're going to see, we can choose to reject this. But that's what Jesus is for. And he says, I want you there. I want other people there. What's he against? Well, let's put it this way. He's against what I would call a soul-deadening overconfidence in God's grace, a sense of entitlement. There's a young man in our church who came to know Jesus from a Muslim background, raised in a Muslim family, Muslim culture, different country, very different from ours. And as I often do when I talk to friends from different cultures, I say, give me some feedback on what you think about the church in the United States. And it's always a great question, great conversation. So I asked him, he said, and very respectfully, he said, you know, Father Matt, I find too many Christians who assume they're in, everybody else is out, and they're all fine with that. And he said this, I quote, it feels like they take their salvation for granted. And I wrote back and said, you know, I think you have a point. Christians in other ages, they called it the sin of presumption. Actually, a guy named Thomas Aquinas, that's, that was his thing. He said we can have this, the sin of underconfidence in God's grace, 
which is sort of one of my biggest problems in my life, and that leads to despair, that God can't forgive us or won't forgive us or doesn't want to forgive us. But then he also said there's this sin of overconfidence in God's grace that we can accept Jesus, believe in Jesus, but never repent, never change. That's the sin of presumption. And so when I wrote my friend back and said, I think what you're talking about is a sin of presumption, and I explained it to him, and he said, he wrote me, and I quote again, he said, that's exactly what I was looking for. When I hear Christians say, all our sins are forgiven, and we are saved without any hint of repentance, I feel they go back into the same vicious cycle of the people who resisted Jesus in his day. It's a fair critique. Jesus is against that. He's against that disease. And so he says in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. And the word strive there in the original language is the word from which we get our word agonize. Like work on this. This doesn't just happen. Be intentional about this. It was a word used for athletes who gave everything they had on the, the field, the pitch, the court, the diamond. <laughs> just to get all the sports in. In 1930s, there was a young leader in the German church in the shadow of Nazism named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I know many of you have probably heard of him. If you have not, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, was a great leader of the church. He saw the church caving into Nazism. He saw the church capitulating. He saw the church compromising. He saw the church going along with Hitler's plan to exterminate Jews and other people. And, and they just... They didn't repent. And he called what they had, he said it was cheap grace. They believed in cheap grace. God's grace is free, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's always a gift. It's always free, but it's not cheap. Bonhoeffer wrote this, and I quote, costly grace is a treasure hidden in the field. And he's referring to the words of Jesus where Jesus told the parable that said, like, finding the kingdom of God is like stumbling upon this treasure in the field or this pearl of great price. And it's so valuable. The person who finds it goes and sells everything to get that treasure. So he says, costly grace is a treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man gladly will go and sell all that he has. Above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his own son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Costly grace has to be protected and not thrown to the dogs. So Jesus is saying, I'm against cheap grace. Grace without repentance. Grace that leaves us smug self-righteous, superior to those people without looking at our own heart and life. Now notice, though, Jesus is giving us a warning, but it's not a rant. It's not an angry rant. I can't cover all the verses in this, but look at verse 34, because this is such an emotional verse. Verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. I call those the four saddest words in the Bible. You were not willing. 
How often, Jesus said, not just once. I'm always doing this. How often do I do this? And he's saying, there's something inside of you. There's something inside of you that can choose, that can accept or reject me. Now, the church has debated off and on, like, how much of that, and how does that work, and what is God's part, and what is our part, and, and I'm not going to answer that, but there is, there is a part in there that's us, that can choose, a chooser, a willer, and it, it might be buried, it might be wounded, it might be deformed, and maybe some bad things have happened to you, and maybe you've done some bad things, and maybe you haven't gotten some things in life, but it's still there. And you can choose to accept or reject. And so Jesus is, this is not a, like I said, it's not an angry rant. It's a love song. It's a lament. You were not willing. You were not willing to humble yourself. You were not willing to surrender to my lordship. You were not willing to seize the treasure in the field and to pay any price to get it. You were not willing to repent of your complacency and your self-righteousness. So is there hope in this passage? It's a hard passage. Yeah, there's a lot of hope in this. Look at that verse again. Verse 34, what, to what does Jesus compare himself? A chicken. A barnyard chicken. Dirty, small, insignificant, and not even a rooster. Roosters, you know, they strut around. They show their stuff. They yell at the morning. But a hen. Elsewhere, Jesus compares himself to a lion. In the book of Revelation, he's like a warrior on a white horse. But here he's a chicken, a mother chicken, a mother hen gathering her brood around her. The living God. Earlier in this text, he said that he is the master of the house. I own everything. How does the master of the house act? Like a mother hen gathering her brood. The living God says, I'll go low. I'll go lower than you can go. As someone read this week, uh, a theologian I was reading, Jesus has gone so low. No matter how far you fall, you're, the only thing you're going to hit is Jesus. He's there. You can't fall farther than Jesus. He's there for you. He says, I'm willing to become a slave washing the feet of my disciples. I'm willing to become a criminal dying on a cross between two other thieves. I'm willing to become sin, to bear sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Have you ever loved someone and they could not or would not love you back? Do you know what that's like? I bet many of you know what that's like. A father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a friend, a husband, a wife. You love them, but they couldn't love you back. Is there any pain deeper than that? Is there any heartache heavier than that? The triune God, you see what Jesus is doing? 
The triune God who needs nothing, who is totally sufficient unto himself, chooses to enter into the pain of rejection of unrequited love and to bear it, to take it into himself. So, if he did that for me, what kind of life do I want to live for him? If he truly is the treasure in the field, then no price is too big. Again, this is not salvation by works, but this is what grace does to us. It liberates us, and it energizes us, and it fills us with love and compassion for a broken world. I was driving in this morning thinking about, it just seems like we've been in a fog, right? Fog everywhere, COVID fog, this fog, that fog. And I just, I felt a little bit the fog lifting. And I don't know, I hope you're feeling that, but if you're not, just wanna let you know, this Lent, Lent is a season that the church sets aside that's, and says, we're all sinners, we all fall asleep, we all resist the grace of Jesus. But this is a place for sinners to come home. This is a place for sinners to be forgiven. This is a place to go through the door and enter a new life. As we said at the beginning of Lent, repent and believe the gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.